with a message called The Exchanged Life. The Exchanged Life. And this is so critical because when people think about Jesus, they think that Jesus has come to change their lives. Now that's true. He did come to change your life. But He doesn't come to change the peripheral things about your life. He doesn't come to make you a little bit more moral or a little bit better, uh, a little bit of a better version of yourself. Jesus doesn't come to offer us self-help. That's not the gospel. You know what the problem with self-help is? That you're always being helped by someone who needs help, right? That's the problem with self-help. You're trying to help yourself, but you're the one who needs it. And so what God offers us is not a life where He changes the externals of our lives, but where He actually exchanges His life for ours. He exchanges. It's an exchange life. He gives us His life. He says, lay your old life down and let me give you a new life. So there's an exchange that happens and God wants us to live changed lives because our lives have been exchanged. So this morning, I want you to go with me to Matthew chapter number four. If you have your Bibles here uh, or any kind of a smart device, uh, scroll over to Matthew four and verse 18. Matthew four and verse 18. Verse 18 says, and Jesus walking by the sea of Galilee saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Come and follow me, and I'm going to change everything about your life. Everything that you've been doing, I'm going to give you a new way of living. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. He called to them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Exchanged life. 2 Corinthians 5.21 really just sums up this idea, this gospel idea of one life exchanged for another. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake. God made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That, that sums up the whole gospel there. For our sake, because of the love that God has for us, he caused Jesus to, who knew no sin to become sin for us, so that by him we could become the righteousness of God, to be in right standing with God. I'm going to go ahead and pray this morning. And then we're going to talk a little bit about exchanging your old life uh, for this new one. Let's, let's pray together. Jesus, this morning we're just so grateful that you are the one who came down and was willing to give up your life, to go to the cross, to take our sin, to take our shame, to take our judgment upon yourself, to take every bit of condemnation that was due to us and, and to put it on, on, on yourself, on that cross that you bore the weight of it, God, so that in you we could become the righteousness of God. We thank you for that this morning. We thank you that, that wherever we are still holding on to the old life, God, that you will cause our hands to open up this morning. And God, for, for, for your grace to flow and for your new life, God, to, to become the life that we now live. And we thank you for this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Have you ever had a moment where you were holding on to something 
um, very tightly. Maybe you were holding something and, 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 and walking around with it. And then all of a sudden, you saw something more valuable than what you were holding. And you let go of, of that thing that you were holding onto in order to take a hold of, of this, this thing that you find more valuable than what you're holding onto. Have you ever kind of had a moment like that? I, I had one like this the other day when I, I was walking with my phone um, into the kitchen. And uh, my, my, my boy, uh, Leo, he was standing on the table, and I had taught him, to, I'm kind of teaching him to trust me, uh, so I taught him to jump off of the table, and I would catch him, because he was, uh, he would usually just stand on the edge going, whoa, whoa, you know, and, and then now he actually jumps, and now he's become a little bit too confident in all of this, because I'm walking into the kitchen, I'm not even looking, and just out of the corner of my eye, I see like a bat coming from, you know, just like flying at me, and I realize it's Leo that's jumped, he's already jumped, I'm not ready. I'm not looking. And in that moment, I dropped my phone in order to, to grab a hold of Leo. And I did the amazing. Have you ever done the, the kick catch? You know, when you, you, you kind of kick your phone, it's better than it just like falling. So I managed to kick it, and fortunately, it didn't break. But it just spoke to me of, of how in that moment, in a, in a gut level kind of a response, when you see something that's more valuable, you're willing to let go of what you're holding on to. My little boy Jude, he... Uh, has this little, this little comforter, this little square-shaped blanky thing that he carries around with him everywhere, and he won't sleep without it. You know, he, um, he, he calls it, we, obviously we call it a luppy, uh, but, but he can't say L yet for some reason, so he just calls it an uppy, okay? So he wants his uppy all of the time. He also, that's why he can't say his brother's name yet. He can't say Leo, even though they're twins and, and you know, they're together all of the time. So he just calls him Jude. He's just like, I'll just call him my own name. It's like, Jude did it. It's like, well, um, Leo's like, who am I? Um, so the other day, Jude comes, I, I arrive home, and, uh, and I had brought some sweets home for the boys. I told him I'd bring some sweets. And Jude comes out, and he's holding his, his luffy like he always is. And as he comes out, he sees the sweets, and his eyes just open up. And he just, like, he just forgot about the luffy. I mean, it just drops to the ground. I came back a few hours later. It was still just lying there on the ground. And there was this moment where he saw something that was greater, something that had a greater appeal and that drew his attention and that, and that drew his affection. And so he let go of something that he's depended on before. He just let go of it and dropped it on the ground. And what God really wants to do in our lives, what He really wants to, 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 to speak to our hearts is He wants to show us the greatness of what He's offering us. He wants to show us how all-encompassing it is what God has for you in Christ. He wants you to see Jesus so that you may know, the, the, like, like Paul prayed for the church in Ephesus, that you may know the hope to which you have been called. Because the only way for us to be truly free of the idols and the things that we worship in life is to see the greatness of the things that we can have in Christ. If you don't see it, you'll always still hold on to that luffy. You'll always still hold on to that phone. You'll always still hold on to whatever it is in your life that you have depended on up until this point. You'll always hold on until you see the greatness of Christ. The greatness, the power. So Paul prays for the church in Ephesus. He says, I, I'm praying that you would come to see and to know. To know and to believe. The hope to which you have called, the greatness of the inheritance that you have as a child of God, and the power of God that is at work within you. I, I want you to come and know, to know and to believe the great love that God has for you. 
People ask me often, when do you become a Christian? Is, is it when you just kind of say a prayer? Or is it, you know, at what point do you actually become a believer? And for me, I think the, the most critical moment of conversion is not when people make an emotional decision or when people make a logical decision. And God can work through that stuff. There's no problem with it. But if you want to know if you really know God, if you really are in Christ, it comes to that point where, like Paul says, we have come to know and to believe the great love that God has for us. It, it's not just something we talk about theoretically. Yes, God's a God of love. We, we read that in the Bible. But I know and I believe with all of my heart. To believe means to trust in. I trust in that love. I trust that if I jump off of this table that my dad will catch me. I trust that I can, I can let go of everything in my life so that I can grab a hold of and lay a hold of everything I have in Christ. So we see Jesus uh, walking here in the scripture in Matthew that I read. He walk, he's walking by the Sea of Galilee, and he calls these fishermen to follow him. And you see that what Jesus does here is he, he doesn't make a suggestion. He doesn't stand and go, hey, if you guys aren't too busy later, can we maybe hang out? Or, or can you let me know when you're ready and, and then you can come and follow me? He doesn't go, hey, um, sometime later on, doesn't have to be now, it can be whenever, uh, but whenever, whenever you, you feel you're ready, can you then maybe just come and walk with me a little bit and, uh, and, and, and then see if you don't like it, you can go back or whatever. No, Jesus, he makes this, this bold statement. He just says, come follow me. Come follow me. And I'll change everything about your life. Come follow me. I will make you fishers of men. So by nature, the invitation that Jesus has for our lives is not for this short trip. It's not just let's go on a little bit of a church journey and, 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 and then you can kind of hang out with me on Sundays and then the rest of the week you can go back to trusting in the things you've trusted in before. But what Jesus calls these people to do, these fishermen, is he calls them to leave their jobs. He calls them to leave the lifestyle that they have lived before. He calls them to leave their old life, to leave everything behind and to follow him. This really is an all or nothing kind of an invitation. Essentially what Jesus is saying is, is that you cannot hold on to the old things and grab a hold of this new life at the same time. There's a letting go in order to lay a hold of. There's a detachment in order for an attachment to take place. And where that detachment happens, I, I, these guys, the Bible tells us, immediately left their nets. They immediately left their nets. They immediately left the thing that they depended upon for their lives. This was their livelihood. This was their family trade. It was their own family. Uh, James and John left their own dad and said, well, we, you know, this, they saw something in the eyes of Jesus. As I was thinking about this, I was thinking about the story of Zacchaeus that we find in the book of Luke, I think it's chapter number 19, where, where uh, Jesus walks into a town and there are crowds surrounding him and everybody wants to see this Jesus. And there's this guy called Zacchaeus who, who is, is really uh, a mobster. I mean, in scripture, you can easily overlook this because the Bible tells us he was, a, he was short. But how many tall mobsters have you known, right? They were all short. All of them were short, right? This guy was the chief tax collector, scripture tells us. And the tax collectors were, were mobsters. 
They were the ones that were the, the, the kind of the top of the syndicates and the, the criminal influence, and they were outright thieves in this time. And what's worse is they robbed their own people. These tax collectors were the people that the Roman people, uh, that the Roman government used as pawns to tax the Israelites, to tax the Jews. And then they said to them, we, all we want is our money, and whatever you charge above that, you can keep. That was the incentive that the Roman government gave to these tax collectors, is that you can go and charge your own people whatever you want to charge them. As long as we get our cut, you can take whatever you make above. It kind of sounds like a drug deal, right? You can, you can just hear it's in there. You've seen this movie before. And so he, uh, you know, Zacchaeus was not only a tax collector, but he was the chief tax collector. He was the, the guy, he had other guys working for him overseeing different areas, getting their money, and then they would get a cut and he would take a cut. And Zacchaeus kind of hears about this Jesus coming into town and, and he runs and, and, and can't see over the crowd. So he climbs up into a tree and uh, just to see Jesus. And it's probably not because he was just intrigued. Well, wow, I wonder who this Jesus is. But it's, it's probably because he wanted to know who was this guy coming in on his turf and causing this major upheaval and in in this revolution. He, he owned this space. And Zacchaeus climbs up into a tree to see Jesus. And this is what I absolutely love about Jesus. Is that even though Zacchaeus is known as, uh, he's notorious as a sinner, as a thief, as somebody who, who takes more than what he should, as somebody who would, who would take money from the poor and, and tax people and, and lay burdens on people's lives, Jesus stops at the base of this tree and he looks up at Zacchaeus and he says to him, come down, come down. Because today I'm gonna come and eat at your house. He says, I, I actually, he actually uses this phrase. He says, I want to, I'm gonna come and stay with you. And in those days, when you said to somebody that you were going to stay with them, if you ate a meal with somebody, it wasn't just, hey, let's have a quick meal because I'm hungry. You were actually saying that I am opening my life to you. I'm sharing what I have with you, what's, what's, what's mine you can have. And so he offers this exchanged life to us as sinners, just like Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus in his own stature was short. The Bible tells us he was short of stature. And so he climbed up the tree to make up for where he fell short. And Jesus says, come down from that tree. Come down from that thing that you stand on to make up for your shortfalls in life. I don't want you to depend on trees anymore. I want you to depend on the tree, the cross. I have come so you can come down. I'm going to come and stay with you so you can come down. And the Bible tells us that Zacchaeus hastened down. He, I mean, he really came down quickly. And it says, and he was joyful. He saw something in Jesus' eyes that day. He saw something in Jesus' eyes. What makes a mobster climb out of a tree with joy in his heart? What makes fishermen leave their nets? What makes brothers leave their father? It only happens when we truly see the value of what we can have in Christ, of, 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 of the love of the Father. Immediately they left their nets. In Matthew 16, verse 24 to 26, Jesus says, it says, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, 
If anybody's going to come after me, if you're going to follow me, if you're going to be a believer, if you're going to be my disciple, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. There it is. There's the letting go. You let go of the old so that you can follow Christ. For whoever would save his life will lose it. If you're going to lay a hold of the other things in life, if you're going to grab onto and, and cling to it, like it would be the thing to save you, you'll lose your life. Because the things that we hold onto in this life, our, 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 our talents, our money, our, our success, our achievements, our relationships, those things cannot save us. So if you're going to hold on to these earthly things in order to save your life, you'll lose it. But whoever loses his life, let's go, for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man or a woman? What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Forfeits his soul. I love that word forfeit in the scripture. Because it's like a team that doesn't show up for a game. They haven't even tried. They didn't even come, the whistle, the game didn't even begin. There's just no way to win if you forfeit the game. If you've ever played in a league or if you've ever been in a, involved with some sort of a sports tournament, you know that if you don't show up, you forfeit the game and the other team gets maximum points. And the Bible says that if we're going to hold on to everything in this world, we're not even showing up for salvation. We don't even get to kick off. We don't even get to taste a scrap of it. What does it benefit you? What does it profit you if you gain the whole world but yet forfeit your soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? How much could you pay for eternal life? How much could you pay for salvation? There's nothing in this world that is rich enough or powerful enough to give us the salvation that we need. So like the tree of Zacchaeus and like the nets of uh, of, of, of James and John and, 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 and uh, Peter and, and his brother Andrew, we see that we have to lay certain things down. What are the things, just to bring this home for you today, what are the things that you find your security in? Because this really is an analogy for what happens in our hearts every single day. This is not just a one-time deal. You know, at one point, Peter went back to the fishing, and Jesus had to come and get him again and say, hey, hey, um, no, I've called you. Do you love me? Then go and do what I've called you to do. I've called you to a, a new kind of life. What are the things in your life that if I had to take them away now, or if God had to take them away from you now, you would struggle to know who you were? If I had to take your career away from you right now, if I had to take a certain relationship away from you right now, if I had to take a certain achievement away from you right now, you know, we can find our identity in so many different things. And sometimes even in unexpected things. You know, sometimes we go through suffering and we actually find our identity in suffering. We actually find our identity in what we've been through and, how, uh, and, and where we are in our life or, or, or in the successes that we've had, in, in the skills that we have, in the achievements that we've made. What are those things that if I had to remove them from your life right now, you would really struggle to live and know who you were? 
And can I just say that I have those things as well? And throughout my life as a Christian, I've felt Jesus constantly give me that call. Leave your nets. Leave your nets. Put that thing down that you think is going to save you. I've used this analogy before. I want to tell you a quick story. Um, and, uh, and it's just something that, that, that makes me think of this so clearly, which is a time when I was with a friend uh, out in, um, in close to East London, about 20 kilometers from East London on the Wild Coast. There is a little place called Kids Beach. And I was out there in Kids Beach with this friend of mine. And, uh, and it was a, a early, early January, this beautiful day in Kids Beach. I mean, just one of the most beautiful days you've ever seen. It's summertime, and uh, we just want to go swim in the ocean. People are literally running to the beach. You know, when people are like jumping out of cars and running to get to the beach. The waves are amazing, but it's this, it's this quiet beach there. There's no lifeguards, and there's no, you know, it's just this, this beach out in, in the, on the wild coast. And so we open up his garage because we're like, we just got to be in the waves. And so we open up his garage, and we're looking for some boogie boards, you know, some body boards that we can just go and mess around in the waves with. And... Uh, and I hope you also call them boogie boards. It's definitely the best name ever. So, so we want some boogie boards. And so we find, we find two. We could only find two in all that mess in his garage. The one was like his baby sister's uh, boogie board. It was about this big. And the other one was pink and kind of uh, broken in the middle. So it was still one piece, but it, would, it, could, it could wave, you know. And, um, and so we're like, hey, it's cool. We're just going to mess around a little bit. So we go to the beach. And, uh, and, and we get on these boards, and, and we don't want to get into where the main waves are, so we just kind of decide there's this gully along, this, along the side, and uh, we just kind of drift in this gully. We just kind of lie on the boards, and we're chatting or whatever, and I think we may have gotten caught in a little bit of a riptide, uh, because when we looked back, we couldn't see the people on the beach. We were so far out. You know when the beach looks hazy from far away? You know, it looks like there's mist. That's what we could see. That's all we could see, and we realized that we are floating in the ocean on the wild coast with no nets, no shark nets. I mean, it's one of the worst places to be floating. And, and, and you know, what's, the, what's worse than being eaten by a shark is being eaten by a shark while on a pink boogie board. That is like just one next level, right? And so, and so we're like, we need to get in. We need to get away from wherever we're at right now. And we decide the quickest way is not to try and find the gully again, but to actually go into the waves and to catch these waves. And so we start swimming towards the waves. And as these waves build up, you know, we, that swell kind of picks you up in the beginning. We realize that we made a mistake because these waves are far bigger than what we thought they were. And, uh, and when that first wave started to break over us, we knew there was no hope. We knew there was no hope. And on that baby sister, sister boogie board and that broken pink boogie board, we knew we were in trouble. And the fact that we're here today is only by God's grace because we were, from the first moment, I still tried to ride the first wave. It lasted about 0.3 seconds and I just got churned up. I didn't see my friend. Then I saw his head pop out of some white water eventually. We rolled over rocks at one point. It was crazy, but eventually we got out. But you know what I realized is that life is a lot like that, that we hold on to things that we think will be sufficient to take us through. But you know, it's when the wave starts to build over your head. It's when life, when the hardship of life and the challenges of life and the trials of life start to build up, you go, wait a minute, I've trusted in this, it's not gonna bring me through. I've trusted in this, I've held on to this, it's not gonna bring me through. It is not sufficient. There's nothing in this world that is sufficient to bring us through. And there's a moment when we, when we realize this, so what are the things that we're finding our security in 
that, are not, that is not Jesus and that is not sufficient? What are the things that we find our significance and our self-worth in? It's easy for us to come to church and to say, yes, my life is all about Jesus. But in a practical way, when we go back to our normal lives on Monday and live the rest of the week, we turn to other saviors. We turn to functional, practical things that can save us. And this is why one of my favorite quotes, and I can't remember who said it, was that when Jesus came to save us, he didn't only come to save us from our sins, but also from other saviors, from other things that we would look to to save us. And so Jesus goes, I want you to leave your nets. I want you to come down from that tree. I want you to walk away from your old life and the things that you have based your identity in because I've got a new life for you. And this is what faith is really all about. Jesus offers us something so incredible. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, and as long as you hear me preach, I will preach this, this text again and again and again and again. But in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, he says this, Jesus' invitation, he says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. Come to me, you who labor and are heavy laden. You see, when we, when we find our significance in how much money we can make, we labor in that money, to make that money. We carry the weight of what am I if I don't have my money? Who am I if I don't have it? So we feel the, the weight of it. Trying to carry your own significance in life is a heavy thing. Because if you lose those things, you lose yourself. If you find your, 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 your validation through your relationships and you lose one of those relationships, who are you without those relationships? So those who labor and are heavy laden, who work for their righteousness, who work for their salvation, who work for their significance, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. This is an offer. Jesus is going, hey, I, I've, got a, I've got a life for you that's lighter and easier to bear than the life that you've been trying to carry. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And what I love about that scripture, and, and we don't deal with oxen and plowing with yokes anymore in today's day and age. So a lot of people miss what the scripture is saying. But when you had a, a, a yoke, it's that wooden piece that they would put over the necks of the oxen to get them to, to plow the field. And they would put two oxen next to each other. Normally an older, an older ox that knew how to plow and a younger ox that would want to be running all over the place. And they would yoke them together. And the older ox would bear the brunt of the weight and keep the younger ox going in the right direction. And what Jesus is saying is, I don't want you to put your future and your salvation and your righteousness. Don't carry the weight of it yourself as if some law or some religious program that you're supposed to follow, but be yoked to me. If I, Will, can you just come here for a moment? If, if I can just illustrate this. What Jesus is saying is not, when he says, come follow me, he doesn't say, hey, follow me and try and keep up, and then he walks along. He says, well, I need you to let go of that stuff 
because, and just put your, put your arm around my shoulder, because I want to walk with you like this. This is how I want to walk with you. And I'm going to teach you. In, in, in the Message Bible, it says, I want to teach you the unforced rhythms of my grace. Just learn from me. I'm walking with you. I'm bearing your burden. Take my yoke upon you. I'm carrying the weight. What you get to experience is the lightness and the favor and the grace of walking with Jesus. Thank you. That's how Jesus wants to walk with you in your life. It's intimate and it's connected. So Jesus comes to us where we are, and he invites us to lay down our burdens. He shows us the heart of the Father. This is what God is like. The Bible tells us that Jesus was the exact representation of the Father. If you want to know what God is like, the problem was people didn't know what God is like. Maybe you don't know what God is like. But if you want to know what God is like, Jesus came to show us the exact representation. And you know what God did when he met a sinner, a mobster like Zacchaeus? He says, come down. I want to stay at your place. I want to come and hang out at your house. That's the heart of the Father. We have a God who truly loves us, regardless of our sins, regardless of our mistakes. He wants to share his life with us. He wants to exchange our old life for a new life. In Exodus 3, it shows us a bit about just the heart of God, and he says this, and, and I, I've been having some meetings over the last few weeks with Rory Dyer uh, from 3CI, and uh, just a great pastor, and uh, he's just been, been speaking into our lives, and, and Rory told me this, he spoke about the heart of the Father, and he said, listen to what God says, it says, the Lord, then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard the, their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them. That's the heart of the Father. He has seen, he has heard, and he's come to help. He's seen the weight that you've been carrying, trying to make your way through life. He goes, I've seen your afflictions, I've seen your sufferings, and I'm here to give you rest. Does that make sense this morning? Everybody still okay? People were always grumbling when they saw Jesus. They see Jesus going with Zacchaeus, and he goes and eats with them. And, and, and that would have been a three, four, five-hour thing. And, and they're actually looking. They go, here comes the person who proclaims to be the Son of God, and he eats with sinners. He shares his life with sinners. He's a friend of sinners. This was an accusation made against Jesus, that he was a friend of sinners. But you see, God is not trying to condemn sinners. He's trying to liberate them. God is not trying to condemn you. He's trying to liberate you. When God says, I want you to take this thing out of your life, it's not because he's condemning you. It's because he's liberating you. He's asking you to let go of something and to trust him so that you can lay a hold of something even better. He wants to make the exchange and he's calling you down from the tree. And you know what happens when we allow God to do that, when we allow Jesus into our lives? We see it with Zacchaeus. Jesus comes in and he eats with him. And at one point, Zacchaeus stands up and I can imagine he just tells everybody, hey, everybody, keep quiet. I've got something to say. And Zacchaeus says, you know what I'm going to do? First off, half of everything I have, I'm going to give away. I'm just going to give it away. Half of everything. And then he goes, and if there is anything, if there's anybody that I have robbed, 
which pretty much means everybody, I'm going to return it fourfold. He only keeps half of what he has so that he can pay everybody back. And I can imagine how for Zacchaeus that would almost mean financial ruin. If you imagine what he had stolen over those years. But Jesus didn't come to Zacchaeus and say, hey, you're messed up, dude. You need to go give that money back. Hey, you need to fix your life. Hey, you need to sort this out. Hey, you need to. No, he comes and he, he makes himself available. And he says, this is the heart of the father. God loves you. This is your identity. You're not your money. You're not your money. You're not what you have. You're not your position. God loves you. And he goes, God loves me. God loves me. God will come and eat with me. Flip, then I don't need this anymore. He lets go. You see, if you're struggling to let go of things in your life that you find your identity in, don't try harder to let go. Work harder at looking at Jesus and understanding the love of of the Father. There's that old song that says, turn your eyes upon Jesus and look full in his wonderful face. Just look full, just fully in the face of Jesus. And it says, and the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his beauty and grace. You look into the face of Jesus, you like Zacchaeus goes, yeah, I, I don't need that anymore. I'll lay it down. Jesus, can I have what you have? The guys mending their nets. Hey, this is our job. This is what we do. This is, this, these are our boats. This is where we get our livelihood. Jesus comes up and he goes, come and follow me. And they see something in his eyes and they go, yeah, yeah, we'll leave these nets. We want the life that you have for us, Jesus. We want to walk with you. In Philippians 3 verse 7, I just want to read this to you this morning. Paul says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Whatever things I had built up, whatever, whatever uh, uh, good things I had done in the past, the, the righteousness that I had attained and the things I had learned and the things that I have achieved, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth. Do you see that there? Oh, I've built up this life and I'm well known. I'm a Pharisee of Pharisees and I, and I know, but now I can know Christ. So I count this as lost so that I can see the surpassing worth. It's more valuable. The surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, not saving myself, that comes from the law, from trying to be a good person, but that which comes through faith in Christ. We are going to heaven and we have eternal life, not because we have followed the law and lived life as good people, but because we have faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know Him. This is what I wanna know. I wanna know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. I'm letting go of my old life so that I can grab a hold of the new. I'm letting go of of my own righteousness so that I can lay a hold of the righteousness that comes from Christ. No longer counting on my righteousness through obeying the law, but trusting in Jesus. I wanna tell you that the hardest thing 
to walk away from. The hardest thing for us to walk away from is ourselves and everything we've depended upon. We are our own greatest idols because deep down in every one of our hearts, why we resist Jesus is because we actually want to save ourselves. Charles Spurgeon said, every man is born a Pharisee. We want to save ourselves. And so we don't want to trust in Jesus. But the Bible is very clear that if you're going to save your life, you'll lose it. And that's why God really wants to speak to your heart and give you a new life. That's why God pushes past the peripheral of what are your actions and what is this and what is that and what is that. He'll get to that later. What he wants to speak to right now is your heart. What do you believe about him and what do you believe about who you are in him? The gospel isn't about self-help. It isn't about us trying to be better. If you go and look at other religions, that's very much what it's based on. But the gospel basically declares this, that you cannot do it. You're not strong enough to save yourself. You're not strong enough to make yourself better. It tells us that the sin in our lives is not just a problem in our hands, but it's a problem in our hearts. And so what we need is that we need to die of our old lives and to receive a new life. Coming back to that scripture that we read in the beginning. For our sake, God made him who knew no sin to know sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In him we can have an exchanged life. The good news this morning is that this is a free gift. It's not something that you can earn or something that you can work for. It is a free gift. Romans 11 verse 6 says, If it is by grace then it is no longer of works. If God has given this to you as a gift, it's no longer something you can work for. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if it is of works, it is no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. So what I'm saying there this morning is that when Jesus shows up into your life, He gives you the grace to let go of the old life and take hold of the new. It's not something that you can earn. You don't have to earn your place with Jesus. All that you need is His presence in your life. Focus on Him. Behold Him. That's the, that's the, when, when, when the disciples came to Jesus and said, tell us, how do we do the works of God? What must we do to do the works of God? Jesus said this, to do the works of God, what you need to do is believe in Him whom He sent. Believe. Believe in Jesus. That's how we do the works of God. Do we still have idols in our lives? I believe we do. I believe we all do. Things that we hold on to. Things that we find our significance in. I'm going to read you just this last, very last passage this morning. In 1 Samuel 5, one of my favorite stories in the Bible. The Philistines go out and they capture the Ark of the Covenant which was the ark that carried the law of Moses. And it was known as basically the throne of God on the earth in the Old Testament. That's, that was God's throne. It was his presence on the earth, was with the ark of the covenant. And it says in 1 Samuel 5 verse 1, when the Philistines captured the ark of God, they brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. 
Then the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it into the house of Dagon, which was their god, uh, the fish god. And, and, and in, uh, the, the Assyrians worshipped this god and one of the major gods that they had, their main god. And they set up the ark beside Dagon. And when the people of Ashdod rose early the next day, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord. This idol that they put the ark next to, they come the next morning and the idol is lying face down before the ark. So they took Dagon and put him back in his place. But when they rose early on the next morning, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord. And the head of Dagon and both of his hands were lying cut off on the threshold. Only the trunk of Dagon was left with him. You see, when Jesus comes into our lives and we know the love of the Father, we might still set up idols, but those idols cannot stand in the face of God's presence. They fall down. They fall down. They don't have the strength. And you know what we sometimes do? We're like these Philistines. We go and put the idols back in place. No, 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 but I know God loves me, and I, and I know He's forgiven me, and I know, but, but this thing I can't live without, and we go put it back up. And we come back the next day, and every time those idols fall, they get a little bit more destroyed. They weakened a little bit more. Now the hands are off, the power is off, the head is off. And I'm really praying in my life and in yours that what God would do is wherever I erect an idol and say, this is the thing that my life is about, that because of the presence of Jesus in my heart and my life, that that thing will fall down. And I pray that my idols will be smashed to pieces, every single one of them, even if I have little idols that are standing in the corner, that all of them, the Bible says that at the name of Jesus, every tongue will confess, every knee will bow. And so I don't want just a changed life where I put the Ark of the Covenant amongst different idols. I want an exchanged life where I've laid everything down and I find my identity, my hope, my strength, my peace, my significance, my worth, my power, my hope, my inheritance, all in Christ and Christ alone. Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and, and pray together this morning.